0: Hey Robert, I like the hat. Hey, you're on. I'm looking good today, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> Unshaved and with a hat. This is good. Yeah, so it's so a good, it's a good cool. look to be talking about crypto. So uh, we, we, <laughs> we, this is we the be, formal attire for the crypto winner. There you go. We've been uh, talking a lot about crypto lately. We've been publishing quite a. We published a, a series uh, of articles on crypto, and uh, so one of the issues that have that we've discussed but haven't really delve deep into is this idea of crypto uh, substituting for, replacing or being an adjunct with venture finance and kind of the comparisons uh, the, the, the the comparisons between the two in terms of raising capital and allocating capital. So let's maybe first start with kind of um, how finance works in allocating capital and and particularly in the venture venture world, but generally, What it is that finance, what's the productive kind of function of finance?
1: Well, the idea is to match the uh, resources that are available. So the money that savers have or capital with the projects that are available. So entrepreneurial ventures that have a lot of upside, they, they could create a lot of value. And that in itself is a massive question. Like, how do you decide which of the opportunities that are out there you wanna invest in and what's the minimum threshold below which it just doesn't make sense for you to invest. Because when we say you, it's you're on Brooke or it's a particular company uh, versus entire, entirety of you know all society and all humanity. So if a company like even a company like Apple that has an extraordinary profitable business and is introducing new products and could come out with a car, like there's all sorts of ways that Apple could invest. There is some minimum threshold below which Apple shouldn't be investing its profits. It shouldn't be raising money to, to do new things because the ideas just aren't good enough. And there's something out there in biotech or in some other company or some other sector that is much more interesting. So that's the really high level. Uh, and it's fairly easy when you're Apple because you kind of know what the benefits are of your introducing the next generation of iPhone and how quickly you want to do that. What that'll do for your customers and your sales. But when you're looking at completely new ideas so in Silicon Valley, if you're a venture capitalist, you're looking at someone with just a, a wacky idea because it's it's so ambitious. It's, it's almost audacious and it'll probably fail. How do you decide whether that's the company you want to back versus another company? And so that's really the tricky part when you get into new ventures is you have almost no information. You just have An idea, and how do you pick which companies you're going to back? And then once you back them, how does that actually work? And the the devil is really in the details.
0: And this is where the market has kind of evolved to a venture capital model or has traditionally where you get these experts, middlemen who serves as experts who who are between the investor and the investments. And and they just have uh, both reputational capital, but they also then have expertise uh, in not picking winners because they still pick more losers than winners, but in in picking a higher percentage of winners than, than just a, a random person or somebody without the specific expertise. And they aggregate the capital, which a- Apple, the example you gave, already has the capital, but most of us can invest directly in venture. They kind of aggregate the capital to be middlemen.
1: That's right. And it's, it's not just picking the companies that look like they have a good chance or uh, you know, a, a better chance of actually coming through on their plan. It's also identifying the right kind of plans as well as the right kind of team. So you need to have something that, that actually could work because the right people are doing it. And then if it works, it has the right characteristics because no matter how good the team is, how good the idea is, there are just so many things that can go wrong, it's mm-hmm. a, a near infinite number of things that go wrong and kill a startup that has very little cushion. So you need to have a really asymmetric outcome. You know, we've talked about this in the past that one of the things about about the 21st century is that you've got these massively asymmetric outcomes where you, if you try something and it turns out to be really work, it can spread to the entire planet. And if it doesn't work, yeah, it was a failure and you lost the money, but the amount you lose is a a tiny, tiny bit compared to the potential upside. And so VCs are always looking for, is this the right type of business? Is this the right team to do it? And is this the right time to do it? And then there's a very specific procedure they follow. Uh, I call it the venture capital model, but you can call it whatever you want. It's just, you don't give, billions of dollars to the startup at the beginning, uh, unless you're SoftBank. And we've all seen it, that, you know, that doesn't work very well. Because if you give an entrepreneur X amount of dollars, you give them hundred million dollars, they're gonna spend hundred million dollars. They're not gonna spend 50 million and then say, look, you know, this mm-hmm. just isn't going very well. I'm gonna give up on my dream. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut bait on the years that I put into this and just give the money back. That, that does happen occasionally, but it's so rare that it, it, it's yeah. like news. Uh, And so the Silicon Valley venture capitalists are feeding money in very slowly. And it's always a balancing act because you want to give the company enough money to make enough progress that you can evaluate whether there should be more money. And you want to give them enough money that they're not always raising money. They're actually spending time building the business and if you give them too much money, then you're risking big losses when things fail versus small losses when things fail and big wins when, when things don't.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's the venture capital model. It works. It works amazingly well. I mean, uh, all the all the companies we know today in technology, biotech, all products ultimately of this model. Um, but it hasn't really changed much since the, what the late 1970s, early 1980s, this is a model that's been established, it works well, but you're proposing that they might be a a better model or a different model that would compete with this model that has to do with crypto. So how does crypto play a role here?
1: Well, the idea of improving venture capital is, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around because it really does work so well. And it makes so much sense. Uh, and when you have some new innovation like the internet that completely changes the landscape, it, is, it seems like there's the possibility and that we should be exploring ways that we might do this better. Because there are a couple of things that uh, are not great about the venture capital model. Uh, the first one I already alluded to is that entrepreneurs spend an inordinate amount of time ongoingly raising capital. And if you had some magic crystal ball where you could identify the companies that really could put hundreds of millions of dollars to good use and just give them hundreds of millions of dollars, that would that would be a much better outcome. Uh, you would, first of all, get a lot of money into the winners right up front. And second, the team could spend all of their time building this great business as opposed to how, how it goes today. Uh, so that's one thing. The second is that The venture that with money going in periodically, so the model really is you raise a first round and a round. Uh, It might be $5 million, it might be $25 million, but it's some relatively modest amount of capital and then 18 months later, two years later, three years Mm -hmm. later, the company raises a B round a couple years later it raises a C round and each of those rounds are done in a particular way where the company goes back out to the venture community with its current backers, but it doesn't just go to its current backers. It goes out to other VCs and says, do you want to invest in this company? And so the current VCs are using this as a market test. VCs are human. They they want to back their own companies. They've been working with the companies. They've got money in that they don't want to write off, but they need to to accept that most of these companies are going to fail. So instead of failing the companies themselves, essentially they send them out and say, look, there's there's 100 VCs, we'll give you an introduction, go pitch them. If none of them want to invest, we're shutting this thing down. Mm -hmm. Which seems like a very low bar, but it's actually a fairly high bar because these 100 VCs, they've got no reason to invest in this particular company unless it looks particularly good because they have their own companies that they need to to take care of. And there are hundreds of different companies that are out there looking for that B round. So it's a, it's a good model. And between the A round and the B round, there's basically no market signals. The company is not expected to be selling a bunch of product, they're not expected to be doing anything but building the company, making progress that can look a lot of different ways, you know, going out and hiring people is an expense, it's not Mm -hmm. creating revenue, but it can be a very valuable activity if you're out there hiring the right people. So what you need to do between the A and the B round to get the B round isn't defined, it's just do something great. And that's not observable. If you ask an entrepreneur, how are things going? They're always going to say things are going great. And they probably believe it. Uh, but until you get to the B round, there is no market test. So you go for two years with no market feedback. Now, given that, there's, that each company is unique and you've got a lot of idiosyncratic risk, sure, that, that's not a terrible outcome, but it's also not ideal. It's not ideal for investors, but it's also not ideal for... Uh, partners for the company, customers of the company, people who might want to go to work for the company. So the venture model isn't very transparent. Um, Even when there's a B round, you've learned very little about it. Sometimes people joining the company don't even know how big was the B round, what was the valuation. So you have this very centralized, very opaque uh, process that works really well. But if we were to introduce transparency, would that Make it more effective. So,
0: crypto is a means of increasing that transparency. Um, how does how does that work? So, uh, yeah, go ahead. So
1: we've you know we've talked about the idea of a an initial coin offering or a token offering is a better way to put it to avoid the SEC. <laughs> uh, so having selling tokens to be used in a particular company's process. So, you know, Apple could sell Apple tokens at the beginning. And then if you wanted to buy an iPhone you would have to buy it with Apple tokens. Uh, This is the kind of thing that uh, in Silicon Valley has never been made any sense because why would you want to sell your iPhone for a currency that you yourself created? Why not just use the dollar? Yep. And that's a completely legitimate uh, objection. And it's, it's why this, none of this has really taken off. But as we move more and more to value being created on platforms, it becomes less and less crazy to think about a specialized currency for that platform. So in our stay network example, our, our virtual Airbnb, then you have stay coins, you have stay bucks, and actually it's an internally, uh, a fully operational environment for hosts and guests to connect and for hosts to rent houses, to guests and guests to pay. And it's connected to the, to the real world. You know, the hosts don't have to keep their, their crypto, their stay bucks, or their stake coins. They can get dollars. They can go out and spend mm-hmm. somewhere else. And you could imagine that evolving in a really interesting way. But if you had a initial sale of, State coins, for example, or anything for building a platform, then you would recreate most of what Silicon Valley does because first you'd have to sell the coins and selling coins in the Robert and Yuron platform would be very difficult because there's nothing interesting going on there. There's no plan to have a lot of value being created. There's no reason to think there'll be demand in the future from users. So nobody would want to buy it now, but selling coins in... Uh, in a Google, you know, original Google platform that's gonna be used for buying advertising on internet searches, where Google is gonna be the dominant platform for internet searches. That could be really interesting. So if you can't sell the coins initially, then that's like the VC is saying, no, this is just a bad idea. Yeah. Except instead of going to experts, you're going to sort of the entire universe of users. Now, is that a plus or a minus? I don't know. In some cases it's probably a plus and in other cases it's almost certainly a minus. You know, I don't envision this being something that happens in biotechnology, at least in, in no time soon, that you need expertise to make these investment decisions in a lot of cases. But if it's something that is, is a, a more consumer-oriented business model, then having consumers basically vote on it by whether they want to buy the coins seems like a pretty good way of allowing entry or, or turning projects down. And once you have that, you there's no reason not to sell mm-hmm. a massive number of coins. So you go out the state network and you sell a billion dollars worth of state coins, uh, if there's demand for it. Because the more demand there is, the better you can uh, you can assume the idea is. Now is is this always going to be true? No, but there's definitely going to be a correlation between that initial demand and the potential upside of the network. So then you have a billion dollars and you have the exact same problem that VCs have is that that billion dollars is gonna get spent. Uh, Except with a currency, a crypto-based system, you could have some sort of automatic exit. So the money goes into a bank account, the bank account is transparent, you know, everything is, is visible mm-hmm. to all participants. They, you start spending the money building the network. And at a certain point, you would have a you, you could have a trigger that says, you know, this isn't going well. So it could involve the number of listings, the number of transactions versus the bank account. And but at some point, if there's not enough progress, You could have a smart contract that just empties the bank account and cashes out all the existing coins. Yeah. And so you you actually have this ongoing market signal in the price of that, that state coin on whether people think things are going well or poorly. And the more transparency you have, the better that signal will be. And there'll be an incentive there. There would be an incentive at least when things are going well. So you would draw your own conclusions if there wasn't transparency to be sharing all of the good news with the community. And so a lot of it would be automated and there would also be an incentive to be transparent. And that would that would encourage us when things are going well uh, for people who want to work on the project, for people to list their houses on that platform. All of the decisions that people have to make when there's a new company that's completely unproven, they'd have some insight because of the visible currency. Do you remember that? Do you
0: remember that Facebook was going to launch a cryptocurrency? I wonder. I mean, it's kind of tragic that that was killed by basically regulators. They kind of threatened them, and they, but that would have been fascinating to see how that played out and what
1: impact that would have had. Facebook would have been perfect to launch yeah. uh, Libra. I think is what they originally called it. Yeah. Uh, to launch this sort of, of currency. Uh, the idea was it would be a stable coin. It would be backed by a basket of mm-hmm. global currencies. It was going to be the currency of the, the planet. Um, there was going to be a use for it because it would be how you transact on Facebook. Yep. But then there would be the potential to for it to expand beyond that. Now it's you know being a essentially a central bank for a company uh, a, even a big company like google or facebook or apple you know it has its pluses and its minuses uh because you have a, a real business you know you have facebook and you have yep. users and advertisers and now if you have a currency and it's just being used internally no problem All right it's being you have com- it's completely within your ecosystem but if it becomes the currency of the planet then it becomes a lot more interesting and, and potentially uh, costly for you. You get the benefits of being the, the you get the, what is it, seniorage uh, yeah. from, from having the currency. And you're also subject to all the pressures that happen from being the provider of a currency. So it, it would have been super interesting. We would have learned a lot if Facebook had done it but I'm not sure really what the model was.
0: I, I don't know, but fun. it could have it could have spurred competition. I mean, it would have been it would have spurred Google and Apple and others to look at this and 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 maybe offer alternatives. And I I, I think I think the upside was at the very least we would have learned a huge amount, even if it landed up failing. But it, we never got a chance because basically. The government shut it down or, or threatened to shut it down, you know, it threatened to penalize it in a way that forced all its partners all Facebook's partners to back out of it.
1: Yes, it's, it's, it's a serious problem that we don't have well defined regulations for any of this. Um, if, for example, if you did a state coin, uh, it would almost certainly be deemed a security by the SEC and not a security by the FTC so all of a sudden you're in a pissing match between regulatory agencies. And it, it, for a company, a big established company who has a lot to lose, it doesn't make any sense. Although, you know, what Apple is doing with Apple Pay and Apple Cash uh, is an interesting step in that direction. I mean, at some point, Apple could cut the dollar out of this whole transaction. I mean, if you think about, um, you know, paying, if I wanna pay you using Apple Cash, is there any reason that there would be a conversion from dollars and it, it really not? You could have it be a straight up Apple coin.
0: Question is what's the, what's the advantage of it being an Apple coin? That is what's the advantage because at the end of the day to, to exchange with the outside world, I need to convert it back to dollars. At some point I need to go into dollars. But if there's enough of an ecosystem and this is, was the advantage with Facebook, if there's enough of an ecosystem where I can trade just with Apple coins or Libras or whatever then it becomes really, really interesting. And uh, you exchange it to dollars only when you leave the ecosystem.
1: Exactly, and if you get a multiple of these ecosystems, like you yep. were saying, if Facebook had it yep. and Apple's developing one, yep. and every uh, all the other big tech companies, would you definitely have an Amazon coin? Uh, and then they connect, then more and more of the activity can happen outside of the dollar. Now, I'm not a, an anti-dollar guy. I think it's, it, it's incredibly useful currency. Uh, And the costs are very low, particularly uh, from a forward facing, uh, you know, I, I don't, I pay something for that reflects the cost of the swipe fee for a merchant, but then I get something back from the rewards programs. And so it's, it's really unclear where all this lies and where the value is being created outside of just the convenience Mm-hmm. and security of using the existing payment network, but if you had something that, that allowed you to get more information or be a, do provide a better service to your customers, I mean, if you think about it, um, this buy now, pay later uh, business yep. model, uh, which is generally, uh, you know, four equal payments uh, over time with no interest, as long as you make your payments. Yep. And then exactly what happens if you don't make your payments, they're usually charged to a credit card. So it's, if you shut down the credit card or you max out the credit card or something, it doesn't happen that much. And so the customer, from the customer's perspective, it's basically free. You know, instead of getting it all yep. on my credit card bill this month, it's going to happen spread out over four months. So I don't hit my credit limit or I have an easier time paying it. whatever reason, just layering that on top of the credit card infrastructure, it's, it's a clear benefit to a the customer. customer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so where's the money come from? You know, where, what's the business model? It's, it's charging the merchants yep. because if people will buy more and, and they'll be less price sensitive when they can pay over time, then you can make it back, but it's not. Clear. It adds another layer of fees uh, to the merchant. Well, it's-
0: it makes prices. I think it makes everything more expensive. Would be my guess. I mean, Apple offers this on all its products on its mm-hmm. website,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they have to make it back somehow. So they're making it back by charging me a couple more bucks on my iPad or, or on the iPhone or whatever. And even people who don't take advantage of it, I always do because it's zero cost to me. Well, there's and and they automatically charge it, so there's no convenience cost. But the people who don't take advantage of it, in a sense, are paying for it. But uh, but but it it has to come from somewhere. So it's yeah. coming in higher higher
1: costs. And doing goods. it internally, you you capture all the benefits without yep. paying fees. But the yep. the the fintech business model, yep. you know, has to charge for it. And, you know, it's another way to price discriminate. There's, there's just there's a, a lot of, of weirdness that happens in pricing in order for it the, the right price to get to the right person. And, and,
0: and crypto could potentially, a, a, a coin could potentially solve a lot of that issue. Exactly.
1: Because and it internalizes and it all. Yeah. And that's why I, th- I think the potential for both having coins that are very useful but that are also financing in place of, or, or could be in adjacent with uh, venture capital, yep. is it would be a really fascinating experiment because you could, feed money into companies in a different way instead of dribbling it in over time and then ramping it up at the end you could have it any way you wanted it could be a big slug at the beginning and then slowly adding to that over time or how you you could experiment with a lot of different ways that really aren't possible in the venture capital model and then this transparency i I think we won't know the benefits of it until we have some experimentation no Uh, but this potentially huge upside, I think, uh, for people making better decisions. Uh, And I don't mean just investors and entrepreneurs. I mean, everyone inside of that ecosystem all the way down to the customer. Now there's a dark side of that. The the flip side is when you have a coin, you have basically immediate liquidity. And what we've seen in crypto so far is when people, you know, do these, these initial token offerings, is there incentives to get the price up as as far as I can? So you, you get things where people are borrowing from the future. You know we saw that in Terra Luna. Uh, I think we generally see it where there's an incentive to pump up the coins value now, as opposed to providing you know real transparency to the the building of value slowly over time, uh, and that feeds back into the venture market. I and mean, one of the things about venture capital is VCs are in for the long haul. You know, They invest yeah. and then they may wait five or seven or 10 or even more years before they cash out. And they continue to invest over time as long as the company's meeting all the criteria. And so there really are long-term partners. You know, if, if you provide uh 10 million out of $100 million coin raise and the coin trades up and you can cash out for four or five X, now normally a VC is not interested in in getting a quick exit because they have very little money in. So it's not that 4 or 5x is insufficient, that's absolutely sufficient. But if they only put 2 million in and mm-hmm. now they're going to get 10 million back, but they've got a 300 million dollar fund, yep. you know, getting 10 million back just isn't isn't going to yep. drive their success. But if they can put in the full amount initially and get 4 or 5x very quickly, I can't imagine that they wouldn't be pulling the trigger because you know, they're investing for okay. their investors. They sort of have a duty to, but that's not what you want. You, you want your no. capital to be stable. You want it to be long-term. You want it to be smart, like not staying in when things are going poorly, but not trying to cash out immediately. And I think we've seen it cases where I think we actually saw it in Terra Luna, where people invested early, they made a bunch of money in a project that was actually value destroying. Yeah, and they and they got out, and some of them made a lot of money off of it. Um, and if, and yeah, that's I mean, but it's an incentive you want to avoid, and and so coins would have to have you know yeah, but you can make smart contracts that are basically lockups where you you're not. Yeah. If, and have that be transparent. So if you see a bunch of money going in and none of it's locked up, you'd be like, you know, I really don't wanna play in that. But
0: this is where exactly, you need experimentation. You need some failure, right? You need some blowups like Terra Luna for people to learn how to do this better next time. Um, and, uh, and that's what we need, you know, we need this market to be freed up or at least uh, clarity in terms of
1: what's allowed and
0: what's not allowed. So, uh, so that people can do more of it and experiment more.
1: Well, we should talk about it sometime uh, about this, you know, what what kind of regulation might work, but I'm 100% with you because once you get clear rules, and we do not have them in crypto at all, but once you get clear rules, reasonable rules, not just you can't do anything is a clear Mm -hmm. rule, but not very useful. Then people are very good, you know, about figuring out how to go right up to the line, how to not trigger the things that are not supposed to be triggered, but to experiment in all the other areas, usually in ways that the regulators are like, no, wait, <laughs> we didn't mean to let you do that. But it's perfect, because you, if you take out the big piece that the regulars are most concerned with, then you end up with a lot of freedom working around. Oh, yeah, it. absolutely.
0: Good. Well, to be continued, I'm sure we're going to be talking about this for many, many, many shows to come. Uh, thanks, Robert. Thanks, Yaron. Talk soon. Bye.